Chapter five of Around the Campfire by Charles Roberts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five Squatook River and Horton Branch. The next was a rainy day at Camp de Squatook. Of course, we fished off and on all day whenever the rain held up a little, and in a deep run about a hundred yards below the white fish fence, Sam had the luck to land the big trout of the trip it weighed fresh from the water three pounds three ounces and it was killed with a minnow sam complained however that it had given him no more play than one of his two pounders of the day before we thought him very artful in thus concealing his elation so as to ward off our envy by nightfall it was raining pitchforks in our tight tent with wax candles beaming and the rattle of the rain on the roof we felt very snug but inexpressibly lonely was the washing sound in the pine branches and all the rest of the world seemed ages away from us for a while no stories were called for instead of that we played mississippi euchre when we grew tired of the game stranion exclaimed let's have one story and then turn in who will hold forth i asked well said ranolf since you are all so pressing i will try and rise to the occasion it seems to be an understood thing that all these stories are animal stories but in this one i must wander from the rule and tell you a story of rain and wind the noise in the tent roof to-night reminds me of a nice scrape which i got myself into only last summer when you hear the story you will understand just why i tell it to-night sam you heard all about it two days after it happened it's appropriate to the occasion isn't it i mean about how i was wrecked in a boom house highly appropriate indeed said sam well here you have it continued ranolf you'll excuse me of course if i indulge at first in a little technical description to make the incidents clear the crocks point sheer boom started from the shore a few yards below the point it slanted out and down till it met a great pier in mid-river to which it was secured by heavy chains from the pier it swung free down the middle of the channel for a distance of several hundred yards swaying toward one shore or the other according to the set of the wings and the strength of the current it was a sturdy structure of squared and bolted timbers about three feet in width and rising some three or four inches above the water the boom of course was jointed at the pier so as to swing as on a hinge and at a distance of perhaps seventy yards below the pier it had a second open joint at the head of this section stood a windlass wound with a light wire cable at intervals of ten or twelve feet along the right-hand side of this section for about one hundred and fifty feet in all were hinged stout wings of two-inch plank ten feet long and eighteen inches wide set edgeways in the water so as to catch the current like a rudder or a centerboard through iron staples in the outer ends of these wings ran and was fastened the cable from the windlass when the cable was unwound the wings lay flat against the side of the boom but a few turns of the windlass sufficed to draw the wings out at an angle to the boom whereupon the force of the current sweeping strongly against their faces would slowly sway the whole free length of the boom toward the opposite shore the section of the sheer boom thus peculiarly adorned was called the wing boom just above the upper end of the wing boom at a place widened out a few feet to receive it was built a little shanty known as the boom house to the spectator from the shore the boom house seemed to be afloat in the wide lonely level of the river 
the office of the sheerboom was to guide the run of the logs as they came floating briskly down from the lumber regions of the upper river as long as the wings were not in use and the boom swung with the current the logs were allowed to continue their journey down the middle of the channel but when the wings were set and the boom stood over toward the far shore then the stream of logs was diverted into the mouth of the stationary boom whose chain of piers held them imprisoned till they were wanted at the mill below the island in the boom house dwelt an old lumberman named matt barnes who though his feet and ankles were crippled with rheumatism from exposure to the icy water in the spring stream drivings was nevertheless still clever in the handling of boat or canoe and very competent to manage the windlass and the wing boom on the southward slope of the line of uplands which thrusting out boldly into the river formed crock's point stood a comfortable old farmhouse in whose seclusion i was spending the months of august and september about four o'clock in the afternoon it was my daily habit to stroll down to the shore and hail matt barnes who would presently paddle over in his skiff and take me out to the boom for my afternoon swim the boom was a most convenient and delightful place to go in off of as the boys say one rough afternoon when the boom was all awash and the wind sweeping up the river so keen with suggestions of autumn that i was glad to do my undressing and my dressing in the boom house just as i was about to take my plunge matt asked if i would mind staying and watching the boom for him while he paddled up to the corners to buy himself some coffee and molasses delighted said i if you'll get back in good time so i won't keep supper waiting at the farm i'll be back inside of an hour sure replied matt confidently knowing matt's fondness for a little gossip at the grocery i felt by no means so confident but i could not hesitate to oblige him in the matter a small enough return for the favors he was doing me daily i stayed in the water nearly half an hour and while i was swimming about i noticed that the wind was fast freshening the steep and broken waves made swimming somewhat difficult and the crest of the white caps that occasionally slapped me in the face made me gasp for breath while dressing i thought with some consternation that this vigorous wind would prove a serious hindrance to matt barnes's return as it would be blowing directly in his teeth for a time i sat sulkily in the door of the boom house with my feet on a block to keep them out of the wet the door opened away from the wind and against the back of the little structure the waves were beginning to lash out with sufficient violence to make me uneasy i strained my eyes up river to catch the first glimpse of matt forcing his way cleverly against the tossing whitecaps but no such welcome vision rewarded me at last i was compelled to acknowledge that the storm had become too violent for him to return against it without assistance i should have to wait in the boom house either till the wind abated or till matt should succeed in finding a pair of stout arms and a willing heart to come with him to my rescue at first my thoughts dwelt with keen regret on the smoking pancakes and luscious maple syrup that i knew were even then awaiting me at the farmhouse under the hill and somewhat bitterly i reviled matt's lack of consideration but as the sky grew rapidly dark while it wanted yet a half hour of sundown and the wind came shrieking more madly down from the hills and the boom house began to creak and groan and shudder beneath the waves that were leaping upon it anxiety for my safety took the place of all other considerations 
frail as the boom house appeared it was well jointed and framed or it would simply have gone to pieces under the various assaults of wind and waves and the rolling of the boom the floor in particular was very carefully secured being bolted to the boom at the four corners that it might not be torn away by any chance collision with log or ice cake at every wave however the water came spurting through the cracks of the wall and i was drenched almost before i knew it through the open door too the backwash of the waves rolled heavily and even without the increasing peril of the situation the prospect of having to pass the night in such cold inescapable slop was far from comforting the door was made to fit snugly so i shut it in the hope of keeping out some of the water but in the almost total darkness that ensued my apprehensions became unbearable the writhing roll of the boom grew more and more excessive and produced a sickening sensation i threw the door open again but was greeted with such a fierce rush of wave and spray that i shut it as quickly as i could i had never before been on the boom house after dark so i did not know what matt was accustomed to do for light after much difficult groping however i found a tin box fortunately quite waterproof in which were matches and a good long piece of candle when i had succeeded in getting the candle to burn i stuck a fork through it and pinned it to the driest spot i could find which was the edge of matt's bunk away up close to the roof presently a spurt of water struck the veering and smoking flame and again i was in darkness of course i lost no time in relighting the candle but within ten minutes it was out again i repeated the process and was prepared to keep it up as long as the matches would hold out in fact i was thankful for that little annoyance as it gave me something to do and diverted my mind somewhat from my own helplessness and from the eminent peril of the situation there was absolutely nothing that i could do to help myself to reach the shore by crawling along the boom would have been quite impossible i should have inevitably been swept off before going three feet beyond the shelter of the boom house in those choppy and formless seas and in the bewildering darkness i should have found it impossible to swim or even to keep my mind clear as to the direction in which the shore lay though a strong swimmer and accustomed to rough water i knew very well that in that chaos i should soon be exhausted and either drowned or dashed against the boom there was nothing to do but wait and pray that the boom house might hold together till calm or daylight it was a strange picture my faint candle revealed to me within the four narrow walls of my refuge all the implements and accessories of matt's somewhat primitive housekeeping had been shaken from their shelves or from the nails on which they hung and were coasting about the floor with a tinny clatter as the boom twisted and lurched from side to side three joints of rust-eaten stove-pipe kept them in countenance and from time to time i had to jump nimbly aside to save my shins from being broken by the careering little stove sometimes i would be thrown heavily against the wall or the door at last i climbed into the bunk where i crouched dripping and shivering both courage and hope pretty well drenched out of me being something of a slave to routine when i found myself in what resembled a sleeping place or might have resembled one under more favourable circumstances i took out my watch to wind it the hour was half-past nine from that hour till nearly midnight there was no change in the situation 
finding that the matches were running low i occupied myself in protecting the light with the aid of the tin box already spoken of and at last strange as it may seem i found myself growing sleepy it was partly the result of exhaustion caused by my anxiety and suspense but partly also no doubt a sort of semi-hypnotic bewilderment induced by the motion and by the monotonous clamour of the storm as i sat there crouching over the candle i must have dropped into a doze for suddenly i felt myself hurled out of the bunk i fell heavily upon the floor the boom-house was in utter darkness i staggered to my feet and groped for the candle it was gone from the edge of the bunk in my fall i had evidently swept it away the motion of the boom had now greatly increased in violence and it was impossible for me to stand up without clinging tightly to the edge of the bunk in the thick dark the stove crashed against my legs so heavily that i thought for a moment one of them was broken i drew myself up again into the bunk no longer feeling at the least degree sleepy presently i realized what had happened the boom had parted at the joint where the wings began and my section was swinging before the wind the waves frequently went clear over the roof and came pouring down the vacant stove-hole in torrents whose volume i could guess by their sound the pitching rolling tossing and the thrashing of the waves were appalling and i fervently blessed the sound workmanship that had put together the little boom-house so as to stand such undreamed-of assaults but i knew it could not stand them much longer moment by moment i expected to find myself fighting my last battle amid a crash of mad waters and shattered timbers in a little i began to realize that the boom must have parted in two places at least from the unchecked violence of its movements i knew it must have broken loose at the pier with this knowledge came a ray of hope as my section was now nothing more than a long and very attenuated raft it might presently be blown ashore somewhere if the boom-house would only hold out so long i might have a fair chance of escaping but i realized that the progress of the fragment of boom would necessarily be slow as wind and current were at odds together over it cooped up in that horrible darkness and clinging on to the edge of the bunk desperately with both hands the strain soon became so intolerable that i began to wish the boom-house would go to pieces and put me out of my misery none the less however did my heart leap into my throat when at length there came a massive thud a grinding crash and the side of the boom-house opposite the bunk was stove in at the same time the marvellously tough little structure was twisted half off its foundations and bent over as if a giant hand had crushed it down i at once concluded that we had gone ashore on the point i tried to get the door open that i might have some chance of saving myself but the twisting of the frame had fastened it immovably madly i wrenched at it but that very stability of structure which had hitherto been my safety proved now my gravest menace i could not budge the door and meanwhile i was being thrown into all sorts of positions while the boom ground heavily against the obstacle with which it had come in contact the boom-house was half full of water a fierce indignation now seized me at the thought of being drowned thus like a rat in a hole reaching down into the water my hands came in contact with the little stove i raised it aloft and brought it down with all my strength against the door 
the stove went to pieces bruising and cutting my hands but the door was shattered and a wave rushed in upon me holding my breath i was tearing at the remnant of the door in doubt as to whether i should get free in time to escape suffocation when the boom gave a mightier heave and the upper part of the boom house crashed against the obstacle with a violence that tore it clear of its base the next instant i was in deep water striking out blindly when i came up providentially i rose clear of the shattered boom house i could see nothing and i was almost choked but i kept my presence of mind and battled strenuously with the boiling seas which tossed me about like a chip in a second or two i was dashed against a pile of timbers half stunned i yet made good my hold and instantly drew myself higher up on the pile as soon as i had recovered my breath sufficiently to realize anything i perceived that i was on one of the piers the upper portion of the great structure was open and i speedily crawled down among the rocks with which these piers are always ballasted as i crouched to escape the chill wind which hissed between the logs how i gloried in the thought that here was something not to be tossed about by wind and wave drenched shivering exhausted as i was i nevertheless felt my bed of rocks in the pier top a most luxurious retreat i presently fell asleep and when i awoke the dawn was pink and amber in the eastern sky i saw that the pier which had given me refuge was that to which the sheer boom had been fastened the storm had moderated somewhat and forcing its way determinedly toward the pier came matt's skiff propelled by matt himself and jim coxon from the corners i declare said stranion i almost feel the tent and the floor itself rocking so vivid is the picture ranolph has given us well remarked magnus it can rock us all to sleep and the sooner the better in a very few minutes we were snugly rolled in our blankets then stranion rose on his elbow and blew out the candle doused the glim as he was wont to say in the thick dark we swiftly sank to sleep on the day after the rain there was a wonderful exhilaration in the air we felt like shouting and running races the face of earth wore a clean and honest look queerman roamed hither and thither declaiming miss guinea's fine lines up with the banners on the heights at every matin bell astir the treetop choirs carouse in light the dews on flocks and lavender till at last we pulled his hat down over his mouth and made him go fishing with us he declared he didn't want to fish that day so we took him to carry our captures this time we cut through the woods and struck the river about half a mile below the outlet the sparkling day had made us break bounds at this point the squatook river after rushing in white-capped tumult down a gloomy channel broadens fan-like out and breaks over a low fall into a pool of quiet waters out of which roars a strong rapid the pool is wide and deep and girt with great rocks over the black surface fleecy masses of froth were wheeling how our hearts leaped at the sight behold us waist deep around the margin of the pool or braced upon the edge of the fall the surface is lashed sometimes in three or four places at once by the struggles of the speckled prey against the slow inexorable reel our excitement is intense but quiet its only expression is the reel's determined click 
or its thrilling swift rattle as the taut line cuts the water and the rod bends and bends a smallish fish has taken sam's drop and is being reeled half spent across the basin the leader trails out behind there is a shining swirl beside it a strike and stung by the check the very monarch of the pool flashes up and darts like lightning downstream but sam's fly is sticking in his jaw now gallant fisherman hold thine own we forget our own rods more than once sam's reel is almost empty for twenty minutes the result is doubtful then reluctantly victory declares herself for the lithe rod and the skilful wrist the larger of these two prizes which our lucky fisherman thus brought to land just tipped the beam at two and three-quarters pounds the other was a light half-pounder that day after a hasty lunch we bade farewell to camp de squatook the morning's fishing had been so good that we resolved to keep its memory unblurred a sudden desire seized us for fresh fields and pastures new we struck tent packed the canoes and paddled out joyously from the landing through the whitefish barrier we slipped smoothly and swiftly onward down the racing current almost before we could realize it we were in the wild sluice above the fall there was a clear channel at one side and we raced through the big ripples with a shout and a cheer but alas for high spirits and heedlessness sam and ranolf were in the rear canoe they objected to this position and just after running the chute and clearing the basin they tried to pass magnus and me we were in the strong and twisting current however and the first thing our rivals knew they were thrown upon a round-backed weedy rock their canoe turned over gracefully and discharged her whole burden into the stream instantly the surface of the pool was diversified with floating paddles poles tent pens tin kettles box covers etc and stranian and queerman magnus and i were busy capturing these estrays in the eddy below the canoe was got ashore righted and found to be none the worse our heavy valuables guns and the like were lashed to the canoe and hence got no worse than a wetting but our axe and various spoons and forks were gone from our sight forever the oatmeal was a part of our lading and the tobacco as well for this last we felt no anxiety congratulating ourselves that it was in a waterproof tin we did not at the time open this tin as there was tobacco enough for a time in the other canoes but the meal bag was a slop henceforth we were to have no porridge only beans 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 to go with our trout and canned knick-knacks and this meant nothing more nor less than dinner three times a day instead of the old appetizing sequence of breakfast dinner and uh, dinner after a brief delay we continued our journey an exciting afternoon it proved throughout leaving us well tired at evening taking care to preserve a discreet distance between the canoes whenever the current grew threatening we slipped on swiftly between ever-varying shores rounding a sharp turn we would see before us a long slope of angry water with huddling waves and frequent rocks and at the foot of the slope three or four great white ripples forming and roaring in the sun 
then a brief season of stern restraint strong checkings strenuous thrustings sudden bold dashes and hair's breadth evasions a plunge and a cheer and drenched from the crest of that last ripple we would look back on the raging incline behind us this sort of thing took place three times within two hours we passed without stopping through second lake and under the majestic front of sugarloaf mountain which is matchlessly reflected in the deep still waters the mountain towers from the water's edge its base in a cedar swamp its lofty conical summit which topples towards the lake as if it had received a mighty push from behind veiled and softened with thick bushes and shrubbery some time after sundown we reached the mouth of a tributary stream known as the horton branch this was a famous trout water and we determined to fish it thoroughly on the morrow by the time we had the tent pitched a few trout caught in the gathering dusk and a mighty dinner cooked and eaten our eyes were filled with sleep we cared not for stories that night but smoked brief pipes and then turned in in the morning after an early breakfast we pulled up to the big jam a distance of nearly six miles the big jam is a sort of dam formed of logs and tree trunks and a long accumulation of debris just beneath it lies one of the finest trout pools i have ever fished which is saying not a little the poling up horton branch was delightful a stiffish current but few rocks arrived at the pool we made a great haste to put our rods together so tempting were the eddies never surely shall i forget that morning's fishing all the flies in our books seemed equally killing those big jam trout were insatiable we soon grew hard to please and made it a rule to return at once to its native element every fish that did not approach three-quarters of a pound this had the proper effect of limiting our take to something near what we could at once consume a few fine fish we packed in salt in a sort of basket of birch bark which stranion ingeniously constructed toward noon the fish stopped rising then we lunched and took a long siesta in the afternoon the sport was brisk but not equal to that of the morning no doubt if we had stayed till sundown the morning's experience would have been amply repeated but we were not so greedy as to desire that we left in high spirits at about five o'clock and slipped merrily down to our camp on the main squatook chapter five